Um, as a passive investor, your work occurs on the front end. Once you do the due diligence, you find the operator, the market, the asset class, the deal, then you sit back and the money just flows. Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Gentle Art of Crushing It show, where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives. This show stands on the shoulders of giants. Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show. Well, hello and welcome to today's episode of the Gentle Art of Crushing It podcast. My name is Derek Felch and I am one of seven hosts on this podcast and each week we bring you conversations three times a week on a variety of topics around real estate, business, and personal motivation. Our goal with this podcast is simple. We want to help you succeed in whatever target you're aiming at. We are each committed to finding the best and the brightest people who aren't just talking about doing big things, but are actually taking the steps to achieve their dreams and want to help others along the way. And today's no different. We're joined by three of our other hosts, Randy, Nathan, and Doug Clark, to have an opportunity to learn from each of them about the areas of real estate they spend the most time in. I found it to be a great conversation that I think can provide you with more understanding of things like passive investing, long-term rentals, short-term rentals, and as well about hearing some of the mistakes we've made that hopefully you can learn from and avoid. I'd just ask if you find value in any of our content, would you mind sharing it with someone else today? It would help us greatly expand our reach to see others do great things. And it would mean a lot to us if you'd leave a review or a comment on whatever platform you're listening or watching this on. And with that, let's bring on the other hosts. We thought it would kind of be good just to share, uh, kind of ask each other questions about our areas and uh, specialties and, and uh, dig in a little deeper into kind of the how of what we do. So, uh, Randy, let me let me kick off with you because I'm fascinated by passive investing. Um how does someone get started? Like if I'm, if I've been listening to your podcast for a while and I hear all these people saying, this is great. How, how do I, I mean, how do I get started as someone who knows very little about passive investing? Yeah. Yeah. Good question, Derek. And, um, I guess it's probably the question on everybody's mind. Who's thinking about starting this journey in passive investing. It can be, I know for myself anyways, it was, it was a little intimidating on the front end. Um, I liked early on that I could invest in single family homes because I felt like I knew them and I felt like I knew what it would take to buy one and put a renter in and all of that kind of stuff. I found out very, very quickly, I had no idea what I was doing in that space either. So, um, you know, if somebody's interested in kind of fast forwarding, skipping that whole active role, really it's, it, it's an education process. You've got to surround yourself with people that are the operators in this space and just get comfortable with the people that are doing this and start to learn about their businesses. And at some point, you're going to want to choose an asset class that you want to focus on. I know when I first got started, I would listen to a podcast. I'd hear somebody talk about turnkeys. I'd get all excited about turnkeys and then go after that for 30 days. And then I'd hear somebody talk about short-term rentals and I would jump in and do that for 30 days and jump all over the place. But at some point, you've got to land on some type of strategy 
and then start to go deep on that strategy and get to know people in that space and start to interview syndicators and start talking to people and listening to podcasts that focus on that. And at some point, you're going to find somebody who you feel comfortable with. And that's when you start vetting deals and um, deciding, you know, certainly from a finance standpoint, like how do you want to fund these types of things? Do you want to use your IRA funds or old 401ks? Are you just going to use cash? And do you have cash to invest in this space? So really a lot of different things you've got to consider to get started. Um, But I think deciding on which asset class is probably the number one thing you need to do first. I think I heard, was it maybe Pace Morby? I can't remember. I heard somebody once say that the problem with real estate is that there are too many ways to be successful, right? And uh, finding that asset class, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm curious, Randy, because you said before you did syndication, I believe you were in single family homes, right? Or small residential, um, you know, rentals. And you just said a minute ago that you realized you didn't know what you were doing there either. Uh, I'm curious if you could say more about that, what it means for you or like, stories that might have happened why why that comment okay um oh my goodness uh i mean we could have a whole show about mistakes randy's made in real estate um so i'll, I'll try to be oh great i'll try to be brief um so first off i um, i sat on the sidelines for years and years and years listening to podcasts reading books all of the stuff talking to people and was really excited about someday i'm doing air quotes but it's too small but someday um, investing in real estate. And, you know, I, I think at, it was the beginning of a year and my wife and I decided like, this is the year we're going to do it. And I heard a podcast with some really, really um, exciting, um, you know, exuberant sales guy who was talking about turnkey rental in, in Kansas City of all places. I Quite frankly, I didn't even know Kansas City existed. I could definitely couldn't have pointed out on a map. But I said, this is it. This is what we're doing. We're jumping in. And I decided that I'm going to invest with this guy. And in fact, I'm not going to invest in just one. I'm going to invest in two deals. And actually, I would have probably done more. But the operator actually cautioned me back and said, hey, let's let's do one or two first and see how these go. And then we can do more down the road. And um, I had no idea from a due diligence standpoint what to do. I assumed that since I heard him on a nationally syndicated podcast and radio um, program that they would be an amazing operator. Um, but my experience showed that lacking in due diligence was was not a good thing. Um, I ended up paying um, paying for that through you know s- repairs that would occur every single month. Um, I probably the biggest mistake I made is. He said, you could certainly have your own inspection, but I've done one and I'll let you take a look at it. So I just trusted that the the um, inspection he had done was great. And, you know, two months after we got a renter into the place, we had to replace a roof, which cost $8,000. A couple of months later, we had some terrible things going on on the slide with on the side with drainage. So we had water flowing into the basement. We had plumbing issues galore, like this thing just turned into a, a total total dollar suck for, for the two years that we owned it. Um, fortunately, though, real estate's very forgiving, and when we did sell it on the back end, we were able to make some money, and we didn't make a lot of money, but we didn't lose money, and we got a hell of experience out of it as well. And, and even though it was super challenging and took a ton of time and ton of money, 
I would not have gone into the next strategy had I not started in the first strategy. Um, so that was one of the mistakes. I could tell you a handful of others, but um, that was probably the, the most important one is due diligence on the operator that you're working with is a humongous thing that you need to get very good at if you're going to be either an active or a passive investor for that matter. I, I love that, Randy. Uh, I wanted to just jump in here and say something. So I'm more of an on the newbie end of a real estate investor. I started in 2019. I have three investment properties. They're SFRs, two long-term rentals. And um, so, you know, w with that being said, I kind of wanted to just touch on something that you said where you just – what happens a lot with real estate investors is that, you know, we get into analysis paralysis, there's shiny object syndrome, and then analysis paralysis, right? And so actually getting started on your first one. So even though you had a few mistakes through that process, it sounds like it was turnkey, right, with property management included. Um, and um, you, you had some mistakes, you paid a bit of a price for that. But um, you actually taking action in the real estate space got you started. And I think that if anybody's out there listening and they've been sitting on the sidelines, they're ready to go, um, but they just keep waiting for everything to be, you know, the stars in alignment, everything to be perfect so that you can, you know, eliminate any and all risk, um, you know, just this is a this is a reminder. Like they, their risk is inherent. You, it, it's there. So please um, get started. Just get started, and you can learn and pivot and grow from there. And what I wanted to um, kind of pitch it back to you, Randy, is um, you also touched touched on something else, which is that you know, it, well, and this is my understanding as a passive investor, which I'm not yet in syndications. It's my job to do due diligence on the sponsor, sponsor the properties. Um, you know that's really where the, you're putting the work in, and then you, you you get the money invested, and then it's hands free from there, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, as a passive investor, your work occurs on the front end. Once you do the due diligence, you find the operator, the market, the asset class, the deal, then you sit back, and the money just flows um, like true. Well, I was going to say true mailbox money. It's not true mailbox money, but it is true ACH money. First of the month, first of the quarter is like the best time in the world just to sit there. It's like you can almost see like the cash, cash register like ringing every time they hit. It's, it's like you're, you, you hit the lottery or you're, you're in a casino and, and the coins are dropping out of the bottom. It's, it's awesome. Um, but all of that comes after you do the work and you bet on the right jockey. Because um, ultimately, that jockey is the guy that's that's running the show, and he's the one that's going to be the steward of your money. He's the expert that has been trained and is skilled and educated in this space. And while he is definitely making money alongside of you, he does not make money um, or should not make a lot of money unless you're making a lot of money as well. Yeah, I love that. I also wanted to just, um, you know, share something else here. So um, the first time I met you, Randy, you probably don't remember this. We, we talked on the phone and um, you turned me on to Left Field Investor. And I, I haven't joined that group yet. And I know you've interviewed, I think, two of the founding uh, members of that on this show. Um, that's one great resource for people who are interested in the more that I learn about 
passive investing in syndications, the more I am getting sold on it. The returns, like, so I wanted to give, uh, you know, that, um, you know, left field investor resource out to the listeners. And I wanted to ask you for other resources. But before that, I also want to share one more, which is Michael Blanc's, you know, passive real estate calculator. You give him your email address and you get this awesome calculator. It will show you like as far out to 13 or 14 years, like, what your you know possible returns are not guaranteed of course but um yeah i think that left field investor is a great place from my understanding again i'm not involved in the community yet but it's a great place to help you find sponsors into um vet because there's a large community that that's essentially what they do right that's it yeah absolutely and oddly enough i had i just interviewed chad ackerman yesterday who's another co-founder of left field investors and had jim pfeiffer at an event that I had here in Scottsdale with um, my other partner, Rise Forty Eight, Zach Hattenstall, and then um, one other really good resource that I'd like to mention is another partner of mine, um, Rod Beardsley from Lone Star Capital. He's got a underwriting tool as well that he makes available. He wrote a book on it. He actually has tons of videos to help teach people. And whether you're an active investor or a passive investor. It's a really, really good idea to get comfortable with this idea of underwriting. Um, even if you're not going to be an expert underwriter, it makes sense for you to know the ins and the outs of underwriting and to definitely learn how to question the assumptions that they're using because those assumptions are what drive ultimate returns on the performa. So, um, yeah, just another really good resource to look at as well. Uh, realistically, Randy, if someone was interested in passive investing, I mean, how much, what, what's the kind of standard minimum investment that someone would probably have to have to, to get into one of the funds that, that are out there? Yeah. So there are, um, like for my offerings and most of the offerings in the space, you're talking 25, 50 or a hundred grand to get into the space. Um, but there are some really neat options that are out there and specifically left field investors introduced me to a group called TribeVest that allows investors to come together and pool their dollars to invest as an entity into any of these syndications. So take for an example, I might have a deal where the minimum investment is $25,000, but if you get together with the tribe and 10 of your friends the 10 of you can put $2,500 in it, um, put $100 in to set up the tribe and handle the taxes and do all of those types of things. And you're now invested in a private placement syndication, earning passive losses, earning monthly distributions, and hopefully doubling your money every two to five years. So for, and actually I, w I was just, um, I did my first tribe last two weeks ago with, I don't know how many people it was. I put $4,100 is what I put in. And it's a $50,000 investment where I'm getting to vet another operator, another deal, another market, and quite frankly, learn a ton from the other 10 people that are in that fund as well. I, I want to say with the TriVest, there's a couple things that, you know, just maybe expound upon a little bit. So if you're going into an accredited investment, everybody's got to be accredited in there. It doesn't like, you know, um, doesn't break you free from from those um but yeah so 
but what you said is just a mind blower to me. So like, I had never thought of this and this is what's great about networking. Um, you know, is that, um, you said that for $4,100, you get to get, uh, you know, more experience, get this one uh, sponsor vetted. So you could potentially do that like with $2,500, like you're saying. So as somebody who's starting in passive, uh, you know, um, uh, investing in syndications, it's such an awesome tool, it seems to me, you know, because uh, you can get started with much less than you're worried about, you know, um, you know, you're losing 25 grand as much. I, I don't mind so much about losing 2,500, you know, especially compared to 25 grand, right? Sure. Absolutely. I kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit here. I know, uh, in, in just, uh, you know, um, pitch Nathan a couple questions. Cause, uh, Nathan, it's my understanding you, well, I, I know you, you invest long distance only. Right. And with that being said, um, can you share with us a bit about your experience there as well as, um, do you also do burrs long distance? Uh, so short answer for the burrs, uh, no, not really. Cause I think, you know, burr in, in the strict meaning, I guess, strict sense of, of the meaning, we don't really, you know, operate and follow those five steps or whatever it are in the buy, rehab, rent, refi, repeat. Right. But we, we, you know, there it happens quite frequently that the properties that we acquire that are, you know, remote from where we are physically um, need to go through some level of, you know, rehab. You know, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, paint and flooring, and sometimes it's new roof, new bathroom, new kitchen, right? So, so we do those things, but it's more in a, you know, make ready sense, right? To get the property up to, uh, up to par with, you know, kind of other, you know, market, rentals as well as maximizing our potential rental income for the property. Um, so we do those remotely, yes. But, um, you know, strictly speaking, those aren't burrs, right? Um, and yeah, so we do, we do, you know, we follow kind of that, you know, invest where it makes sense and live where you want kind of philosophy, right? So it, it would be hard, at least for kind of long-term buy and hold single family uh, cash flow investors that we are to do that in in the Bay Area where we're located, right? It's not impossible, right? Nothing's impossible, but it's just much much harder, right? And the intent for us in doing all of this is for it to be as passive as possible for for us, right? So um, that's what we do. And similar to what I think Randy was saying around, you know, most of the the work in um, kind of starting your your real estate, you know, investing journey remotely is upfront, right? It is choosing your market, building your team, right? Finding the right people that you can rely on, whether it be uh, your property manager, your, you know, insurance broker, your mortgage broker, your, you know, handyman, you know, whatever it may be. And I, I think for us, for example, it took us about eight months to kind of build that team before we bought the first property. Right. And that's where you put a lot of the effort up front. And then kind of once you have that, I want to say the second, third, fourth and, and so on properties right there, the kind of acquisition cost doing air quotes here in terms of like effort is much, much lower. Right. Because you have everything set up to just say, here's another one. It's, you know, cookie cutter, you know, uh, property, same as the ones we've purchased so far. And um, uh, we want to move on to the next one. Right. And um, so we, 
we basically invest all of our, or our entire portfolios out in the Midwest. So we operate primarily in St. Louis, Missouri and Northwest Indiana, and we're based on the West Coast. So uh, those are our very boring, very kind of linear cash flowing markets that, that we like that don't take too much of our time. And you, and you do not use turnkey properties, is that correct? Or you do not source turnkey, do you? No, it's not correct in the sense that we will buy whatever makes sense from a numbers perspective, right? Some of them are relatively turnkey. Some are your typical kind of deferred maintenance that just you need to freshen up, so to speak, right? And and others, you know, need like larger remodels, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and, um, you know, finding properties is not always easy. I think it depends on, you know, your... Uh, you know, the lending market, the real estate market. I mean, right now we're kind of in this place where, you know, we're, we're we are recording this, sorry, like, was it, you know, late March, 2023, right? And what we're seeing is still a lot of sellers are kind of wishing for, hoping for prices from maybe a year ago on these, you know, properties, whereas the lending environment and market has, you know, changed a whole lot, right? And the cost of, money now for for these loans is much much higher so these properties maybe don't make as much sense and are harder to find that will correct over time i think yeah so i'm curious nathan are, are you actually buying properties right now or are you kind of in a holding pattern or what, what does it look like over the last say 90 days in the coming 90 days yeah, so I think in the last 90 days, we extended three offers. So uh, none of them got accepted. But the, the point being is, yes, we're still actively looking. I think where, where we are now is more about being patient to find the deals that do make sense. So we don't want to buy just to buy. We want to buy to make sure like whatever investment property we purchase still hits kind of our our buy box and our desired like investment return criteria. So we just, it takes longer and a lot of it in a sense in the current environment, both real estate market and lending environments. Um, I think it's a little bit of, we're fishing, right? We're fishing, we extend offers that make sense for us. A lot of times we get no's and then we'll go back to them a month later, two months later, and then you start getting a small bite and they're like, okay, I'm interested, but here's my counter until we find somebody essentially yeah i love that so it's um if you have your criteria in place then it, it really takes the emotion out of whether you're making offers or not making offers like the numbers work here they don't work any other way so they've got to meet this and if you get it great if you don't then next and yeah, I, I had got to that same position. I, I leverage Burr strategy as well in Atlanta. And I, I love the strategy. It's a lot of fun after you get that team built, like you mentioned. It literally was my realtor calling me saying, hey, I got a hot one here. Um, and my realtor was working with my property manager and they were doing all of the work. It was just very, very little time involved. But we went, I think we went nine months without getting a property because the market was just exploding. And um, that's when we shifted. Um, but I think that burst strategy can be so powerful because you're creating a tremendous amount of equity and you're getting some decent cash flow out of those as well if, you, if you're buying good assets. So good stuff. So Doug, let's talk about you. You mentioned you're, you're, you've just gotten a, you're kind of getting your feet in the water, bought a couple. What, what are you learning so far? 
Yeah, great question. And one of the um, lessons that I learned, uh, I'll kind of kick it back over to you at the tail end of because I got questions for you, Derek, as well. But um, so I started with a long term rental and um, in a town nearby. And with that um, property, I learned two things. Um, one, for me personally, um, especially long-term rental, um, I never want to invest in an area that does not uh, have strong appreciation forecasted, right? So I learned that with that property. I also learned that I will never again, um, you know, rent to a relative, okay? So I will never do that again. And uh, it's a really bad idea, right? Well, Doug, we we got to hear that story. I'm sorry, you can't throw that out there and not tell us something. Come on. All right. Okay. So, okay. So, and it's it's uh, so basically, um, this has to do with with my son. And my relationship with him is not on the best of terms, and so uh, partially because of that, right? And um, he's 24 now, but. Um, we moved out to Texas in 2018. He came with us, and then he went back to California. Came back, I think, in 2020. Um, yeah, I think that's right, or 2021. And um, you know, the 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 problem is, so I sort of gave him a bro deal, right? Not sort of. We definitely did. And um, what can happen is. And I don't want to say like I think it's like easy for for people to say that this generation experiences entitlement, but it's not just the Generation Zs, it's not just the Millennials, Generation people of all generations. It, there is entitlement, you know, and and it happens. And this is part of like extreme ownership. Why I'm such a big believer in extreme ownership. Um, but yes, there was just not a, not a huge deal. A lot of times late on rent that was way like half of market, right? Um, and a lot of times uh, in, in that sort of thing and then leaving the property in a mess. And so uh, it, because it's my son, I don't want to go too much. I already feel like I'm throwing him under the bus like uh, enough as it is. Um, it was not – yeah, yeah. It's just – and I think that I would strongly discourage anybody from ever doing that, right? So um, the other lesson that I learned is I had a short-term rental. Um, and eventually in a market that, uh, and Derek helped me with this, uh, in the sense of when it wasn't doing so well, he helped me analyze it. And, um, I analyzed it uh, really well and it was doing well at first, but what happened was in this market, it got saturated with a lot of people turning their long-term rentals into short-term rentals. And so the profit just went way down where we basically were, we were still cash flowing, but it was like not even a hundred dollars a month i think and it was so much work right just even if you're you know talking to the cleaner um three four times a, a month or even more that's more work than you know never talking to your tenant for like months on end or whatever you know what i mean so what i did right there is the the, the main thing that we did correct there was that it's in a market where it has you know strong enough long-term uh, you know, rental demand that we were able just to convert it to that. But if I was to do short-term rental again, I would go in more of like a vacation destination. And so um, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm gun-shy. I'm still really uh, interested in short-term rental. So I'd like to, you know, kick a question over to Derek because um, I know in Derek – He's his background is in hospitality, and he's got you know one, and I think you're managing another one, or maybe multiple. Do you mind getting us up to speed with where you're at? Yeah, Any so recommendations we, you have for short-term rental? 
we own two and we manage three others now. We've picked up a couple more and we're working on that and a couple more in the area. So, yeah. So do you still have a short-term rental, Doug? Sorry. No, I don't. Uh, we converted it to a long-term rental and um, that was a fun process. We lost about eight grand on the furniture because we sold everything for like 1700 right, for furnishing it. Um, but we're really happy with where it's at right now. Yeah, so I, I am uh, newer into the short-term rental space myself and I actually just launched a fund that this group that I'm working with, we're going to buy 100 plus properties in the next year. They bought 77 last year, what have you. So I am... I'm intrigued with the space and have been for years, but I've been sitting on the sidelines because it is such an operationally intensive business. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what what makes a short-term rental successful versus unsuccessful from an operation standpoint or property management standpoint. Yeah, I mean that's I think uh, I think people have to just understand you are getting in the hospitality business. So you are dealing with people in some markets who've saved for months to go on their family vacation and they come with high needs and high expectations. And I think, I feel like in the, you know, having been an observer, I also sat on the sidelines way too long. Um, I, I think we've sold people on this idea that you can manage short-term rentals really easily from your phone, which, which can be done. And some guests you never hear from, but some uh, some can be very needy. So, and understanding, you have to think about the details of for a guest to be successful. Like, what is the TV like? What is the bed like? You you can't go cheap, or it it will come back and bite you pretty good. Um, and you know, I think the other thing, and I I probably mentioned this to anyone I talk to about short term rentals. It's boring, but uh, is the revenue management side of it, understanding what to charge, when to charge, how long to have people stay, um, not just take every booking that comes your way. And that's really how we manage to be successful in our markets is we spend a lot of time on the revenue management side, so as well as the guest side. But that's, that's the revenue management I really like. The guests sometimes can frustrate me. Can you talk about that a little bit? What what does that mean? Does that mean that you're watching what your competition's doing, or is it based on occupancy, or how far out it's booked, or something like that? Like, what kind of variables do you look at? Yeah, I really try to use rate and length of stay to slow down my bookings to a pace that I want. Meaning, if we're in March now, I'm not super excited if you're booking next October. Uh, because that may mean you're too cheap if in, unless there's something big in your market, you know, there, but there's lots of variables you want to look at. I, I tend to use some resources through a uh, website called price labs. You can get a market dashboard for 10 bucks a month and you can track, you can take a certain, uh, mile radius or, or they're European. So kilometer radius and, uh, and you can track uh, all the short-term rentals in that market. And you can see their revenue, you can see their occupancy. So I'm always tracking typically the top five to 10 performers that I feel are direct competitors, number of beds, similar offerings, those types of things. And I'm looking at what they're charging and I'm trying to figure out how to stay in that range. Um, and, and length of stay, like what's your average length of stay in the market? So, you know, if people come to your market for five days and you're booking them for two, you're going to leave money on the table. Um, does that kind of answer that question a little bit? And and um, 
Derek, I'm, I'm curious, actually, maybe Randy as well, because you obviously are interested in this space, right? But I don't know much about short-term rentals other than, you know, booking them for myself, uh, which we just did last weekend. But um, I'm curious how much the short-term rental space has changed over the last few years, like in the sense that if you look at Airbnb, for example, obviously one of the biggest players in the space, right? The, the hosting platform, right? They've really been promoting and changing to favor experiences more so than just a property to rent, right? And when you're a manager of short-term rentals and you're managing an experience, that has nothing, or it's, I would imagine, not at all the same as managing a property that you rent, right? To the extent where some of these, you know, Airbnb, you know, locations and properties get bumped up the list, you know, in their search engines and whatnot, if they have a pool table and a nice mural painted and, you know, a, a toy room for the kids or whatever it may be. What I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and if you've changed anything about how you operate kind of those those properties. Um, we haven't changed a lot. We're still kind of in the property management. We have one property we're talking about doing that would be much more event like weddings, things like that. I, I do think understanding your market and understanding who you're catering to, our business partner, and, and obviously my wife and I have four children and our business partner has five. And so um, we they think a lot with the moms in mind of the, of the child amenities, things like that. Um, I think it's just really knowing your market and understanding what are people going to expect that are coming there? So obviously in the Smokies, from what I've heard, everybody's got a game room. You know, if you're in the South, you know, we booked a, we're booking a short-term rental this summer for a wedding in Las Vegas. It had to have a pool. So, you know, if you're operating in Vegas without a pool, I'm assuming you're going to be at a, at a disadvantage compared to all those that have pools. So the market is definitely more saturated no matter where you go. And so now it's people, there's going to be more supply than demand. And so the amenities are going to matter more. Um, and I think to your point about Airbnb, I think being on multiple platforms is a consistent theme I hear from lots of people. They're still trying to figure out how to get more direct bookings. Um, I, I think that's the direction people are trying to go. It's, it's just hard to compete with the big boys. So. Yeah. And Randy, I think you were going to hop in earlier with a question and we had a little mic glitch again or. So, yeah, it, it it flew in and it flew out. And, you know, at my age, I just forget more than I actually think of. So <laughs> maybe it was covered. I, I'm not sure. I'm just sitting back here being entertained. So, yeah. But no, it, it's interesting to take a look at the group that we have here. We've got short term rentals. We've got long term rentals. We've got pseudo pseudo burr long term holds. Uh, but just a wealth and a cornucopia of real estate knowledge amongst the fourth of us, uh, four of us here. So, yeah, really cool to hear kind of all of the things that are happening with everybody. Um, and I, I'm curious if maybe we can wrap this up with like a quick kind of um, one question for everybody. Like, what are you guys excited about now and what's up next for you guys in the coming months or throughout 2023? So maybe Nathan... Can you can you kick us off with that? Uh, excited about now. I think um, first thing that comes to mind is I think with all of like the the macroeconomic environment that we've all been going through um, for the last you know obviously several months if not years um, we we had a we had more than usual uh, tenant 
churn um, and we had more than usual kind of open and vacant properties. So we're about to be back to 100% occupancy, you know, stabilized kind of portfolio, which is exciting because it took a while um, and excited about 2023. I think it's uh, just continuing to be patient and finding um, like the next deal, right? Hoping for uh, just finding that that motivated seller and getting, you know, buying right, getting the next property at the right price. Love it. Love it. Love it. Doug, how about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Randy. Um, you know, so what I'm most excited about uh, right now, I think, is, um, you know, through networking, um, getting clarity on which way I want to go next, um, which might be through left field investment in, in joining a tribe vest, right? Um, and uh, for 2023, um, I just, I, I don't know why this is, but networking, um, it's, it's unbelievable to me how so many, you know, high level players and influencers actually are approachable. You can create relationships with them. And um, even not just not not even just the the high level investors and influencers. There are folks like you know awesome, amazing investors like Randy, Nathan, Derek, and so on and so forth. Where um, if it's such a great way to learn by networking, and we all have so much value to give to others that um, I really want to encourage everybody just to you know challenge themselves to start meeting with you know set a goal of meet with like five people or one person uh, every week and just learn about the people and um, that's what I'm, I, I get really uh, jazzed about and I think uh, yeah so thank you yeah. thanks Randy yeah absolutely what what about you Randy. So, you know, last year was really kind of a transformational year for me. As you guys know, I left left my W-2, launched the business, started on this podcast, joined Jason Drees. And, um, you know, fast forward a year, like I, I have an existing business that is now um, supporting the household and I'm, I'm introducing passive investors to this amazing new traditional investors to this passive investing space. And I've, I've formed a number of different partnerships. I've got three main partners and then this group as well. So I'm just really excited about continuing to build systems and increase my reach because our goal with my company, Impact Equity, is to help a thousand traditional investors make their first passive investment. We've already got 60 of those under our belts. So we've got some ways to go. But nice. like the thought of being able to help people with their financial um, security um, is super, super exciting for me because it's something that I carried around like a monkey on my back for, for 40 years. So to be able to give that to people through this channel and through the company is just super, super exciting for me. I think it, I think we're having big impacts on people's lives. So that's what I'm excited about. Awesome. And congrats on all the success, obviously. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's amazing, Randy. So um, I'm excited. I For me, I'm excited about uh, our vacation rental management business is, is growing, and it's kind of growing with ease. I haven't had to work really hard at it, and that has been exciting. Um, and then I'm we're in the process, but uh, where my passion is, we're in the process of a house flip, I think, see how the market goes. But we are really, my wife and I are really committed to trying to figure out how to help people achieve home ownership. And so... 
we want to look at doing something uh, maybe different with this house to, to try to start that process more and more. So um, our goal is, my goal is, I really want to help 100 people in my lifetime achieve home ownership that never thought they could own a home. So I'm not sure how that works yet, but that's what love I want to do. So, Well, thanks, guys. This has been great. I appreciate you joining us and appreciate you guys listening. And remember, it's three episodes a week right now. Maybe more coming soon. So... Uh, we appreciate it, and we will uh, talk All to you right, again thanks, soon. Guys. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Derek. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of The Gentle Art of Crushing It. It was an amazing episode. We know we sure learned a lot, and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode. And please just know that we only ask for one favor, and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.